We're going to turn now to God's word and Ewan Kirk is going to read from us, for us um, from the book of Acts chapter 1. We're starting this morning looking at the book of Acts and I would encourage you again to, to follow it in your own Bibles or your, your dear Theo book as Ewan reads these words to us for Ascension Sunday. Acts 1 verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the dates or times the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to all ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taking up before their very eyes, and the cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside him. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you to, into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen, and may God bless this reading of his holy word. As we come to God's word now, I am aware this is usually the time where we would have the offering brought forward. So I would just remind people that it is still good to give to God financially as well as in praise. And I want to thank you for all who have in these days um, contributed and continue to contribute to that which we do together as a congregation. The Church of Scotland faces some major financial problems just now, as many organisations do, and it would be good if here in DL St Andrews we can make as much of our contribution to the work of the wider church as well as the work we do here. So let's pray together. O oh Lord, we bring you what we can in the words of our praise, in the love of our hearts, in the gifts from our resources. But we thank you that as we come today to your word, we come not because we are strong or because we have to give, but because you have given to us in Jesus Christ. And so we come seeking him and asking that as we meditate on his word together, you would open it to our hearts. Amen. So we turn to the book of Acts. I've been looking forward to this. We're going to spend um, some weeks um, going through the book of Acts after we have finished. We had finished looking at the book of Luke. The book of Acts is a sequel. 
It is Luke's second part of the story. And it tells the story of how the good news that started in Jerusalem with the the news that Jesus was risen from the dead was taken through Judea and then to Samaria, chapter 8, and then from there to Syria, to Turkey, to Greece. And finally, the book of Acts will end as the word of God reaches Rome itself and begins to stretch beyond. The book of Acts is written by a chap called Luke, the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. And if you look at both of those those books, um, the beginning of Luke's Gospel and the beginning of Acts, you'll see that they're both written to a chap called Theo, Theophilus, um, who was probably a, a rich, wealthy, influential Roman who'd become a Christian, and Luke was dedicating the book to him although it was obviously written that many more people would come to hear and to believe. The second book is, I suspect, for Luke, a little bit personal. We're we're guessing a little bit here, but there are some passages later on in the book of Acts as it's telling the story of the mission um, where Luke slips from saying they did and they did and Paul went to saying we went, which might imply that Luke himself got caught up in the story. He was one of those who traveled with Paul, sharing the good news. So this is a book that is personal. It involves Luke. It's also a book that for the church has continued to involve us. The story of the spreading of the good news stops when it reaches Rome at the end of the book of Acts. And it stops rather abruptly. And we might say, well, Okay, Luke, what happened next? Why aren't you telling us more of the story? But actually, the reason for that is it reminds us that the story goes on. It goes on for 2,000 years. It goes on right up to this day. And we are involved in it too. In the passage that was read, Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And there is a sense that that's a roadmap for what we will read in the book of Acts. The gospel starting in Jerusalem, going to Judea, to Samaria, and then on all the way to Rome. But there's another sense that this is also inclusive. We will be the witnesses to the risen Jesus in our day. From the place that we are, we might say from Motherwell, to the place next door, we might say to Hamilton, Um, throughout Judea, we might say throughout Scotland, and to the ends of the earth. We are to be his witnesses. The other thing I think is great about the book of Acts and what makes it a good book to start with um, at this particular time is these guys were sent out to be witnesses and evangelists to build a church And they had absolutely no idea how to do that. I I remember when I was ordained a minister, and uh, 20 years ago nearly, and I was told immediately that I'd been ordained, well, the minister's fraternal meets tomorrow, and the presbytery meets three weeks later, and there'll be a Kirk session meeting in the middle, and here are all the duties and things that you need to do. The services will need to be ready for then. The magazine editor expects the letter there. All the tasks that were to be done. But these guys had nothing. No meeting, no buildings, no presbyteries, no services, no instruction manual. Just said one thing. The good news that Jesus Christ was alive, risen from the dead, 
and he was Lord of the earth. And in our day, there is a sense that we have to figure things out again. We've been used to doing things in a certain way and suddenly all of that stopped. And here's an opportunity, a little bit like they had at the beginning, to say, well, what is important? What matters as Christians? Is it buildings or, or services or, or, or flowers or, or this club or that club or this organization? Or is it simply this, that we too are witnesses that Jesus Christ is alive? And that's what it's all about, witnessing to that good news. The session at the moment, the Kirk session, is beginning to think what we might do next. The government said that in a few weeks it might allow us to allow people to come into the building for prayer. So we're beginning to think, how, how would we do that? But at the heart of the whole thing, we need to keep this idea of being missionary witnesses to the risen Jesus. Letting that shape everything that we do as a congregation. Now I know as a minister when I start talking about how we might be witnesses, people get a little bit scared. You know, I know witnessing is something I should do as a Christian, but I don't do it. And if you preach on it, well, I'll just feel I should do it, but I won't do it anyway, and I'll feel guilty, and I don't want to feel guilty. So please don't preach on that subject. I've never been trained, and I don't know how to do it. And even if I did it, it wouldn't work. Well, I want to give you some good news to help you relax. I don't want to do guilt today. And I don't want to talk about the techniques of how we might be witnesses Or about the plans that we might have for the future. Instead I want to talk about something unusual. I want to talk about God. You see sometimes preachers don't talk about God enough. We talk about the church and we talk about God's word. And we talk about how it might help us. But in the rush to be relevant sometimes we spend too long talking about the practical things instead of lifting our eyes up to God. I wonder if you've taken any selfies lately. You know, there's a sense that in the old days when we had proper cameras, you know, ones with spools and big, big things, we, we went out and we went on holiday and we took a picture and folk would come back and they would take their picture to Boots and they would get it developed Um, anyone under about 30 will have to have that explained to them. But they got it developed, and a week or two later, they had their pictures, and they went around their family and said, oh, look, there's the Eiffel Tower, and oh, look, there's the, 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 the nice view that I took on holiday. But now, all we do is we take out our phone, and we show off our selfies. And, and what we're actually showing people is, oh, look, there's a picture of me with the Eiffel Tower in the background, and there's one with the, well, the Grand Canyon sort of there, but it's really a picture of me, and there's me at Loch Lomond, and there's me visiting my friends, and there's me, and what we've done with our photographs is that we've actually made ourselves the centre of the picture. And sometimes we do that with God's word as well. We read God's word, and we say, where am I? in this picture what does it tell me about my life right now how will this get me through the week we don't take in the full view the full view of what God is doing 
that he is the center of the picture. And so when we hear this, you will be my witnesses, we panic because we stop and we immediately think, what am I supposed to do? How do I do that? Give me some techniques, some hints, some advice. But stop. And look at God's word again. Stop and see the glory of the view. What are you a witness to? Jesus, the son of God who has been proclaiming the kingdom of God. Jesus, the son of God who has died and has been raised by his father from the dead, ascended over all things, sending his Holy Spirit to continue his mission until he comes again. See this big view of the father, the son and the Holy Spirit working together to transform the earth forever. See the father that sends, the son that triumphs, the spirit that fills the church You see, we will never understand what it means to be witnesses until we first stop and think, what are we witnesses to? What has God done, this glorious, loving, all-powerful God? The first thing that we need to understand about the mission of the church is that it's God's mission. God's doing it. It's always been about God, not about us. Right in the beginning of the Bible, God makes a wonderful world and says that it is beautiful and it is good. It reflects his image. Human beings come and they spoil it. Sin, shame, nakedness. And Adam hides in the garden. The Lord God comes walking in the garden. What is the first word he says? It's not a rebuke. It's not a judgment. It's not a punishment or a threat. He simply says this. Adam, where are you? You're lost. I want to find you. It fits the picture that Jesus gave when he spoke about his father, doesn't it? The father getting up. To scan the road, looking for the prodigal son, longing to embrace him. A shepherd searching for a lost sheep. A woman sweeping a floor, searching for a valuable coin. The missionary heart of God. A heart for the lost and the broken and the shamed and the rejected and the excluded and the desperate and the lonely and the proud and the broken, the poor and the rich shines through every part of the Gospel of Luke. You see, being a witness is not, first of all, something that we should do, but it is seeing what our wonderful God is already doing. Theologians have reminded us of a simple truth, that the mission was never the church's mission program. It was always the work of God. And of course, being theologians, they had a Latin name for it, Missio Dei, the mission of God. And it's that mission that Jesus is speaking about when he speaks about his kingdom, to heal, to forgive, to reconcile, to bring peace. It's the mission that reaches Zacchaeus, a prostitute, a leper, a tax gatherer, all the people that God is embracing in his love. We need to take that view as well. To witness the size and the shape of God's love for our world. His heart to reach the lost, the hungry, the broken, the shamed. 
A mission that isn't shaped about how motivated we are or what techniques we've got as a church or what we're doing, but is shaped by God's loving heart. That so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And the book of Acts, therefore, isn't so much giving us a mission strategy, even if it did, our culture is very different from first century Roman culture. But it's reminding us that God's heart is the same. And the book of Acts isn't how Jesus trained a little church with a clever strategy. But it's about how God's mission moves from Judea to Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And in fact, the church, if you read this, is always struggling to play catch up. They don't know what God's going to do next. And almost reluctantly, they get caught up in this amazing work of God. In the early chapters of Acts, we will find them having important meetings about mission. But in not one of them are the apostles sitting down there thinking, hmm, what's our mission strategy? How are we going to run the church so that we can get more people? None of that. In all of them, they're sitting down scratching their heads and saying, The Holy Spirit is doing something in the lives of these people around us. How are we going to react to that? How are we going to get our head around that? How are we going to change that they might become part of us? They're constantly playing catch up with the Holy Spirit. And they're not always that happy about it. In fact, the title, the book of Acts is, well, I'm going to be slightly flippant and saying I think it's a pretty rubbish title but I can get away with saying that because it's actually not the original title it was put there about a hundred years after the book was written and if you look at what Luke says right in the beginning of it he doesn't call it the book of Acts at all in fact he probably called it something like book two part two of the gospel story I've lost the page here. Give me, give me a second till I find it. You may have it yourselves. In my former book, Theophilus, he says, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. So book one was all that Jesus began to do and teach. Book two, in a sense, the book of Acts, might be all that Jesus continued to do and teach as he taught his church to do wonderful new things. Jesus at the heart of everything. Is that us today? That we are a living example of what Jesus is continuing to do. And if you look on a little bit further to verse 4, Jesus says to them, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes with power. Don't get ahead of me. Don't try to do things yourself. Wait Because you can't do this on your own. You're going to need my strength to shape the church in the ways that I want it. Pray. Wait. Are we a church that's always wanting to do it? Or are we a church that is willing to wait prayerfully? Looking for God's leading. Looking for what he is doing. Looking for his power to move forward. And then the Holy Spirit came. We'll read this as we go through it. And he came and things started to happen. God was doing amazing things and they never really stopped after that. But I wonder if we were giving the book of Acts a title, the early church might have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit and how we were always playing catch up with what God is doing. 
What is God doing today? At this time in Scotland, in our church, that is the question that we need to be asking. What is God doing? You see, the danger is that we forget that this is the missio day, to use the Latin term. We forget that this is the missionary heart of God. God's mission. He sent his son. He sent the spirit. And we have the privilege of being called into that. You are my witnesses, said Jesus. You know, when we hear we're to be witnesses, it's tempting to say, what's the technique? What's the training that we'll get for that? Will it work? And what will the results be? But those are actually the wrong questions. Imagine you see a crime being committed. And the police appeal for witnesses and you come forward. You're going to be a witness in court. Would you say, well, I can't be a witness. I've got no qualifications. I've never been on a witness course to learn how to be a witness. Nobody will believe me. The defense lawyer will rip me apart and they'll all laugh at me. Please don't ask me to be a witness, Mr. Policeman. Please get a professionally trained paid witness to do that for me. Well, of course you wouldn't say that. Because a witness is simply somebody who has seen something. And even if they don't get the whole picture, even if they don't understand all that was going on, they simply are willing to testify to what they saw. That's what the disciples did. They stood up among people and said, this is what we have seen. This is what we have experienced. That was to be a witness. The power of the witness would come not from them having great words, but because God was doing something. Now, there's a whole spectrum of things that come under that term witness today, from Billy Graham evangelists to someone who says to a neighbor, I'll pray for you, to those who drop in a conversation that they're going to church or they're a Christian, to someone who puts on their Facebook post, and here's a challenge to you, I was at church today, it was good, and here's a link, you might want to have a look, to someone who invites someone, To someone who offers prayer. To someone who takes the DVD that they're listening to now and offers it to a friend. Or tells someone on the phone that there's a number they can call that they can hear God's word preached. But more than anything, it's just to pray this. Lord, make me aware of your missionary heart. That I might understand what you are doing more often. Make me aware of your love. It's to pray for the people around us that they might know something of God's love for them. And that's what it's all about. Anyway, to get back to the passage. There's something a bit odd in this passage as you're reading it. Here are these disciples. They've been with Jesus um, all the time. They've experienced the the, the resurrection. They've, They've received 40 days of teaching on the kingdom of God and on the spirit and all that God is going to do. And in response to all of that, they ask a question. Lord, is this a time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Three years with Jesus, 40 years of teaching. When he'd shown them all what the kingdom was about, when he told them that the kingdom was not a physical temple or a warrior king or a violent ejection of the Romans, it was about healing broken people and loving sinful people and forgiving them and 
feeding the hungry and teaching the confused. Where he'd shown them that the kingdom was so much bigger than anything that they'd thought. It wasn't just about Israel and Roman centurions. It was about the whole of the earth knowing the redemption of creation. It was the size of God's mission. And as Jesus is telling them about all this, it's as if they stop him at the moment and say, Oh Lord, yes, but what about us? What about these Romans that are here in our sense of loss and our Jewish nationalism? You know, what about all these things that matter to us? And what they've done when they ask that question is they've shrunk the picture. Instead of this big God who is healing the whole of creation, they've stuck themselves right back in the selfie again. They've photobombed the picture. They've said, what about me? And it seems strange. It seems out of place. And yet it's perfectly understandable because we do the same thing, don't we? We hear God's word, that big picture. And yet, sometimes what's really on our heart is, but I want to go to church. When will the doors open for me? When will my organization restart? When will the finances be okay of our local church that we can keep it running? Never mind the whole big picture. Plump, we shrink the picture again. And the eternal missionary heart of God is somehow becomes just part of the survival strategy for the way that we do our religion. You know, I suspect a lot of our missional work as a church fails because we don't go out in love. We go out in desperation. We go out not because we have a conviction that people need Jesus. We go out because we have a conviction that we need them because we need to keep our church going and we need to keep our organization going and we need to keep things the way that we, they are for us. And instead of being excited about God and, and knowing that he's good and wanting to share that love with everyone and enrich their life, we go out and try to sell the church and bear witness to what we enjoy. You know, I, I, I love the church. I love the Church of Scotland. I, I love some of the ridiculous things that we do. I love the architecture, the traditions. But that's not the gospel. And you know the other thing, it's, it's not sellable. Are you really going to go to a mother struggling with children and job, work and shopping and housekeeping? And that's even before these difficult days for her. And suggest to her that her life will be transformed if she gets the children up, shakes them and comes to a church service. Why would she want to do that? What's so marvelous about church, no matter how well we do it? What's so great about our people or our music or or, or our coffee that would get someone to want to do that? It's interesting, in these days, there are statistics that show people are watching our church services that have never watched before. And maybe some of you today that have been, it's a long time since you've watched a church service And I wonder that part of the reason that people are doing that is because they can come and hear about Jesus without worrying about the church. As much as I love the church, I have no confidence in my ability to sell the church to anybody. But I have every confidence In the beauty of Jesus Christ, who died and rose, ascended on high, and will come again. 
And I think it's only where the church begins to get at its heart the missionary heart of God. His love. The wonder of his son. The greatness of his heart. Only when we get that and want to witness to that. Only when that influences how we shape our life together, our fellowship together, our our worship together. Only when that is in our singing and our being and our doing and our planning. Only then can we say, I bear witness that the love and the power of God is found among the people of God and that this news is good news for all the people that God loves. Only then can we say to that woman with our children and our struggle, it is really worth you finding a place among the people of God and following the God that loves you. If we make it about the church, we lose the joy of the resurrection. We are his witnesses. Now, the church is certainly vital. We'll see that in Acts. You will see as you read these early chapters that This is the group of people that together, in their life together, in their love together, in their sharing together, witness to what the Spirit is doing. As they pray and they wait and they go and they send and they love and they act together. It's right at the heart of God's mission. And yet, maybe not in ways disciples thought of. You see, sometimes when we want people to come to church, we want them to be changed. But often we want them to be changed into people like us that like church and sit at church and do things that are churchy. But actually what you'll find in the book of Acts, as God calls people through his missionary heart into the church, into this new family, what happens isn't so much they get changed as the church has to change. The Samaritans come in. And you can imagine some of the Jewish believers saying, oh, we don't like Samaritans. They've got different ways of doing things. Tough. It had to change. And then God brought in the poor. And we said, oh, we're not geared up for providing for widows and orphans. Well, tough. You have to change. And then God brought in the Gentiles and they did things really differently. And so it went on and went on and went on. Sometimes we spend an awful long time in church meetings discussing very small changes. (laughs) The irony of that is, of course, just look at what God changed in the last two months. We spend a long time talking about small changes. But you know, if we got a heart for the missionary heart of God, it might change everything. Of course, the people of God are vital. God wants them to be at the heart of things. But who says it has to be in a building or any building or on a Sunday morning or with coffee or have services? Who says any of that needs to be part of what we are? We are the people who grasp the missionary heart of God, who understand that God loves, God seeks, God is involved in costly mission. It cost him his son. That's how much he loved. And when we grasp that, when we grasp the gospel and his love for us, then it's not a confidence in our abilities or our skills, but in him, in what he's done and how much he loves In the Jesus Christ who died and rose again and ascended to the Father's right hand side. Who sent his spirit and is changing as always. I wonder in these days. As we have this once perhaps in a lifetime opportunity to think about what the church is and where it's headed. 
what it's about. Are we willing to allow the Holy Spirit to catch us up in the missionary heart of God? If we are, then the call is simple. You are my witnesses. Because you've seen Jesus. And you know who he is and what he's about. Amen.